Good morning, church. Good morning. Man, it's good to see everyone here. I'm very excited about this next few months because <clears throat> we're actually going to go all the way till the Advent season. We're going to go all the way through and we're going to study this new letter of the New Testament. And I'm excited to go through it with you and then we're going to take a four-week break and I'm going to explain to us all what the Advent really is. Do you remember the Advent growing up? Does anyone remember what it meant and why it was there and what the four weeks were and why do we have the candles and what are we celebrating until the birth of Christ? Well, if you don't remember, we're going to go through all of that so you can understand it. And then we're going to pick up the second letter to this person. It might right even go into another letter that's similar to this one. But we'll see. And so first we need to do this and we need to open up with God's word. The first thing we need to do is pray. No, it's not working again. I guess that's okay. I need to do something different. <laughs> How about we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word, to share your word with others. Lord, as we are about to embark on looking at this first letter to this young man, this young leader in this church, Lord, we just pray that we would understand the truth and the truth would set us free. I pray, Lord, for wisdom. Allow me to speak your words if it's not from you, don't allow me to say it. But if it is from you, allow me to preach it boldly so we can hear the truth. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sorry, Pat. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> all right, this is an introduction, as you guys many know, for First Timothy. about church leadership, because that's what everyone thinks. 1 Timothy is about church leadership. But let me start off by saying that's not true. It's not true at all. It has to do with man's problems and God's solutions. That's the reality of what we're talking about. As you can see from the title, those are the issues that are really dealing with in the church. Make sure you understand this. These are issues that are happening in the church. Man's problems, God's solutions. Yes, we're going to deal with church leadership. Many people go to this and talk about what church leadership is and a young man named Timothy taking over a church. Are you ready for this? In Ephesus. So we just finished the letter to Ephesians. Now we're going to look at this letter to the leader in Ephesus and we're going to look at Timothy. However... The main issue is man or church's problems and God's solutions to each one of those problems. And so we're going to look at those because this is an urgent letter. We don't actually know how old Timothy was. We have no idea. But he's a young leader and he has problems that he's facing in the church. And he needs to know what those problems are and how to handle them. And that's what Paul is there to do to help him with. Because Paul ministered to the church in Ephesus for over two years. 
We see this in Acts chapter 19. When I went through the Ephesians letter, we looked at what Paul had done. He lived with them and he was trying to teach them. So let me give you some background on the letter to Timothy. Let me give you the background. So here's the who. The who is the answer to the question of who is twofold. It's a twofold answer. First, Paul is the author of the letter. We know that by the greeting. But he's writing this letter, number two, to Timothy. And we know this because of his greeting. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Now we're going to get to what the true child in the faith means in a minute. Is it working? Oh, it is. So the who is Timothy is being written to by Paul. Quite simple. Now, let's get to the what. What are they dealing with in this letter? What are some of the issues in the church that Timothy, as a leader, has to deal with? I said this before, Paul is addressing many issues Timothy, Timothy is dealing with. But let me give you some ideas what he's dealing with in regards to this letter, to this ministry, to this church 2,000 years ago. And I want you to think about yourself right now and in the church. Do you hear anything familiar? Are you ready? Number one, Timothy is dealing with leaders in the church who are teaching new things that have nothing to do with God or the gospel message. Not one thing. And they're leading many people away from the faith. Number two, he's dealing with gender roles in the church. Number three, he's dealing with anger issues in the church. Number four... He's dealing with how to help those in need, widows and children in the church. Number five, he's dealing with faith issues and people leaving the faith for all the wrong reasons. People leave churches for all the wrong reasons. They leave churches because they didn't get their way. I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home because you don't want to teach what I want to know. Sound familiar yet? Any of you guys here? That side of issues? Wrong teachings? People dealing with, I want to go because you don't like the way I think? Number six, he's dealing with young versus old issues. Young versus old people. Or young versus experienced people. He's dealing with that. Number seven, he's dealing with putting on the armor of God. So he can take care of himself. We just learned this in Ephesians chapter 6. Why do we need to put on the armor of God? Because it protects us from the attacks. The breastplate of righteousness attacks, uh, protects us from the attacks from the front. The satanic attacks. And those from the back. Those Christians who go to church. And backstab you. And complain. And bicker. And moan. And gripe. Number eight, he's dealing with how to treat other people. Masters versus slaves or employers versus employees is really what we're going to deal with there. False teachers again, money and godliness. 
Number nine, he's dealing with what it means to be a Christian or a follower of Christ. What's it really mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? The world we live in today is struggling with what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because if you follow Jesus Christ in his teachings, you hate all people like gays, transgendered, any kind of person you put in that position because you follow Christ's teachings. Really? Christ told us to love everyone, to love your enemy as you love yourself. It is not unloving to tell someone you're living in fear or you're living a life that's going to cause you problems or you're walking down a path where you're going to die. That's not unloving. In fact, that is the opposite. It's 100% loving to tell somebody the way that they're living is going to cause them problems. But see, no, in the world we live today, it's unloving to tell someone that they're wrong. I hate to tell you this. The tolerance we live in, the tolerant world we live in, is intolerant to Christian views. It's hypocritical. And they don't even see it. And so Christians are dealing with what it means to be a follower of Christ. Rich versus poor. I'm just What? Okay. I'm going to just slide it right here because I hear myself now. <laughs> and I won't move very much, but I don't think it's, gonna co it's causing problems anyway. I moved. I did sway. Let me get back to the sermon. Rich versus poor. Finally, Paul tells Timothy to guard the deposit entrusted to him by avoiding irreverent babble. And contradictions in the church. Irreverent babble and contradictions in the church. People, we live contradictions constantly in this world. And he's telling him to stop doing it. He actually goes after people who know knowledge. Literally, they're knowledgeable. And they profess like they know something. And they've swerved away from the faith. They think they know, yet they don't know anything. He's dealing with people who think that they know something, yet they know nothing. And guess what? They start to teach others of it. And as your pastor, if I find out that kind of stuff's happening, I will make a mention to you. I will say to you, you might want to be careful what you teach others. Because guess what? When you're a teacher of the law, you're responsible for that. I take my job very, very seriously. I study constantly. And those who claim that they study all the time, monks and all those people, and then they come up with false teachings, I have very much said to them, be careful what you teach because you're going to be held responsible for it and you're held responsible for all the people you've taught wrongly. God doesn't mess around with this stuff and yet you have people in the world today who teach all kinds of other people what they know about the scriptures. And I'm not saying I know it all. One thing I do know is that I learned for five years in seminary that I know nothing about God. And that I need to continue to keep studying. 
And why I want to have a PhD is so that I can continue to keep studying. Not so that I, you guys call me doctor. I don't care about the title. I care about the fact that I want to know who God is. I want to study God. That doesn't mean you can't do that. That just means be careful what you teach. Because there is garbage out there. And they know it. And they're being led by lies from Satan. That's what's going to happen. You're going to see it in the church. You're going to see it in this letter in, in Timothy. And so in Christian theology, it's called epistemology, which is what, about understanding how we know what we know. It's whether of it to be a matter of fact or a matter of value. That's what we're dealing with in the church. Let me just sum this section up for you really easily. Are you ready for this? The what? Timothy is dealing with a lot in the church. Let me say this again. Timothy is dealing with a lot in the church. Not just society. Not just the world around him. Not just the way that women wear their clothing or adorn themselves. He's going to deal with that. He's dealing with a lot of stuff that's in the church. 2,000 years ago, roughly. Are we dealing with any of this stuff today? There's nothing new under the sun. Or should I say sun, S-O-N. Nothing new under the sun, guys. And so this letter is prevalent to us today as it was 2,000 years ago. And so we need to learn from it. That's the what. Here's the why. Well, I just addressed the why right there because there's nothing new under the sun. So why are we studying 1 Timothy? Because there's nothing new under the sun. We all have problems. We all have issues. We all need something to help us. And it's not going to be our government. It's not going to be in our money. It's not going to be in our careers. It's not going to be in programs. It's not going to be in buildings. In fact, several pastors I know that have mega churches are freaking out right now because this whole pandemic has caused them to have no one come back and they don't know how they're going to pay their church building bills. Congratulations on building a $15 million building that you have no one coming back to because they're still all afraid. Good luck with that one. I'm sorry. Well, it's not going to be in pews versus chairs. It's not going to be in how many people come to your church. It's not going to be in whatever you want to put in that gap. It's not any of those things. The only answer, the only answer, say it with me, the only answer is God. Who's the answer? What's the answer? Why is the answer? God. When is the answer? God. Where is the answer? God. Everything we need answers to is from God. That's right, God. Everything has to do with God. So that's why. That's why we're studying this book, this letter. So let's go through the when and the where. The when is around 62 to 64 A.D. That's the time frame of when Paul was released from house arrest in Acts chapter 28, verse 30, and when Paul's in prison for the final time. He writes this letter. 
As historian Simon Robinson puts it, Timothy and Paul traveled through Phrygia, Galatia, Mycenae, and onto Taurus, Philippi, and Berea. Then Timothy followed Paul to Athens, and from there he sent him on a mission to Thessalonica with Silas, Silas, which we know from Acts, after which he joined Paul in Corinth. His movement after that are unclear until we're told that he was with Paul at Ephesus, Acts chapter 19. And Ephesus was on the west coast of modern-day Turkey, over 100 miles across from the Aegean Sea from Greece. It was the providential capital, the religious center of Asia. This is the religious center of Asia. What's Grand Rapids? The religious center of Michigan. It's the Bible Belt of Michigan. If you didn't know that, you've probably never been to Detroit. Because in Detroit... We all know Grand Rapids is where all the churches are. Actually, now you guys have a new reputation. Are you ready for this? You're beer city. Congrats. You went from church city to beer city. You're where all the places we can go to find really cool IPAs, which, by the way, are disgusting. I'll just tell you now. We're going to Trader Joe's. I had to try IPAs, and I was like, these are gross. An IPA is a beer, Rebecca. It's a disgusting hip, hipster beer that people like to drink. I have no idea why, Joel. I don't drink. But it's the providential capital and the religious center of Asia, as well as home to one of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Diana. Artemis. It's amazing. After preaching in Ephesus, Paul traveled north to Macedonia, and then he left the newly established church under Timothy's leadership. Timothy was encountering some serious problems as he undertook the task, end quote. So that's the when and the where. He's in Ephesus, which is the letter we just finished, and now we're moving on to 1 Timothy, the young leader there in Ephesus to lead the church and to do it well. That's what he's doing. He's called to love them well, to teach them well, to share the good news of Jesus Christ constantly with the people. Just like we're to do in Moline, Dor, Wayland, Caledonia. Not Middleville, sorry, you guys are out. <laughs> but we are to do it to all of Michigan, all of Grand Rapids. You know what a hard soil is? Is when you share the gospel with people who think they already know. They're very well versed in Christendom. Yet they don't live that way. There are people, I'm telling you right now, there are people in this world that claim to be followers of Christ that have scripture all over their house that don't follow Christ at all. They're ready to get blitzed and drunk. They don't follow Christ. They're ready to do all kinds of things. That's nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And we live in hypocrisy. So we need to understand that we're dealing with the same stuff the church was dealing with 2,000 years ago. And we're still dealing with it. My father used to say to me, when are you kids ever going to learn? When are you kids ever going to learn? I'm like, we're learning. I know where to put your tools now. I just choose not to put them back in the right place. And then you get spanked, which was fun. But I'm telling you right now, church, when are we ever going to learn? 
When are we ever going to learn? So let's look at the first part of this sermon. Let's look at this sermon series and see what God has for us and Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. That's all I'm going to touch on today. Because those two verses are of utmost importance. We just kind of look at the beginnings of letters and we blow past them. But there's some really important things in this. And I'm not going to blow past them. It says, first chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's true child in the faith. Paul's true child in the faith is the fact that Paul may have led Timothy to salvation. That's why he calls him that. He calls him the true child in the faith because some scholars think Paul led Timothy to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. On his first missionary journey, Paul went to Lystra and Timothy was a native of Lystra. In Acts chapter 14, Paul also refers to Timothy as his child of faith in 1 Corinthians as well. When Paul goes on his second and third missionary journey, Timothy's with him. And he learns from Paul. So you can say that he discipled or he is discipled by Paul. Timothy is a well-respected disciple by others. Because they know that Timothy is getting first-hand experience with the Gentile apostle. He's moving around with this guy. He's learning from this guy. The real beginning, however, for Timothy, in my humble opinion, comes from his family. He has a mother, Eunice, and a grandmother, Lois. Now, I'm going to say this, and this might offend some of you. It starts at home. Christianity... And the training of your children starts at home. You don't walk into a church and dump them off to some ministry leader and hope that they're going to teach your kid about God. Now, there are people in this world, in Grand Rapids, that I have literally met who say to me, I love going to this mega church. Why? The children's ministry is wonderful. Why? Well, because all the stuff they can do. What are they teaching your children? I don't know. So you care about dumping your kids off to a ministry that's got toys? Yes. Excuse me? What are they teaching your children? I don't know. What's the curriculum they're using? I have no idea. Yet you love this church because your kids can play for an hour while you go learn about God. Yes. It starts at home. It always has started at home. Timothy's mother and grandmother taught him about God. They studied the truth. They learned the truth. Parents and grandparents are of the utmost importance. Let me say it again. Parents and grandparents are of the utmost importance. I want everyone here to raise their hand if you're a parent or a grandparent. Guess what, everybody? You all raised your hand. 
congratulations. It starts with you, except for you three children and the one laying down. And you kids back there with the weirdness. Although, Hudson, you're pretty close to a grandparent, bud. <laughs> they studied the truth. They learned the truth. They taught the truth. Stop skipping church and coming up with ideas to not come. I'm going to say it again. Stop missing church. Coming up with ideas of why you can't be here. Figuring out excuses of why you can't be here. Because the church needs you just as much as you need the church. I'm going to say it every day. We figured out ways. Hebrews 10.25, we have figured out ways to not come to church. And we need to stop. Because church helps you when you go home to teach your kids and your grandkids about God. And if it doesn't, find a new church. If they're all about programs and they're all about topical teachings and they never really get into the word of God, I suggest you leave as fast as possible. Pack up everything you got and get out. Because church is at home. I'm just telling you now. It starts with your home. Your kids and your grandkids need to learn the truth. And then they need to learn to share the truth. And you need to teach them the truth. That's your responsibility. And I'm telling you this as lovingly as I possibly can, without anger in my voice. If you think I'm angry, you don't know me. Because I'm telling you categorically, as the best way I know how, you need to teach your children and your grandchildren. It's not the responsibility of the pastor. It's the responsibility of you. Do it. Stop coming up with ideas and reasons and whatever you want to think to not meet together. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. So stop it. Lastly, Paul. I don't know what I'm doing. I haven't even touched it. I un the wire broke? I didn't even do it. it it's your fault. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Jeff. Paul, lastly, because of Timothy's background, he had a father that was Greek and a mother that was Jewish. Timothy was circumcised in Acts chapter 16. So again, that's why he he's the true child of Paul in the faith. That's where that comes from. That experience with Paul. Paul knows him. Grows him up. Loves him well. In the midst of all the struggles that Paul has to deal with, he's trying to disciple Timothy. Think about what Paul went through. How many times is Paul in prison? How many times is Paul stoned almost to death? And yet he's still trying to disciple. There's no excuse that's good enough, guys. Not one. This guy went through hell on earth to disciple Timothy. What have you gone through to disciple your children and your grandchildren? There's no good excuse. Not one. And so we need to do it. 
What does Paul say to him in this letter that's very important? Many, and many just overlook these three things. However, I've said it before, and I think they're not just nice greetings, but they're an important reminder to Timothy that he needs to think about as a leader in the church of Ephesus. He says this, grace, peace, and mercy. Let me start off there. Because next week we're going to look at the first problems Timothy encounters in the church. And we're going to look at the first problems that the Lord, his solutions for. But in order for any leader to deal with problems they need, and find solutions, they need these three things. Grace, mercy, and peace. What are they? And what do they really mean for us today? That's what I want to go through. So what is grace? As you see it there, chakaris. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm not very great at pronouncing Greece. Greek, but it's chakaris. It means a winning quality or attractiveness that invites a favorable reaction, graciousness, attractiveness, charm, winsomeness. It also has a beneficial disposition towards someone. You give them favor. You give them grace, gracious care, help, goodwill. He's telling Timothy, you need all of these things. You need grace. You need the grace. God's grace is unmerited favor towards us. We didn't do anything to earn it. We didn't do anything to earn God's grace. Nothing you have done says to God, oh, I'm going to give you my grace. In fact, we deserve none of the grace we get. We deserve wrath and punishment. Yet there's enough arrogant people in the world to think that they deserve grace. No, we don't. It's a result of the wholeness of salvation from God to us. That's what grace is. It's a quality that comes from God to us. So when Paul writes grace to Timothy, he knows that grace can only come from God. He's telling and reminding us and Timothy that we need grace. We need truth. And only that comes from Jesus Christ. In fact, what do I mean by that? 1 John chapter 1. The letter of St. John to the eyewitnesses. He was an eyewitness of Christ. He says this, John chapter 1. From the fullness of God, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We get the Ten Commandments through Moses. Grace and truth we get only through Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace is the grace of God piled upon us and our experiences as followers of Jesus Christ. Grace can and only will come to us from God. Not going to come from your church. Not going to come from your government. Not going to come from science. It's not going to come from whatever you think it's going to come from. Grace only comes from God. Even though grace came in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, Exodus 34, Jeremiah 31, there's many other places I go through. It was, as Charles Riley so rightly puts it, it was nothing but a candle. Nothing but a candle can be compared to the brightness of grace that appears at the incarnation. Nothing. 
Grace is unmerited favor of God towards us, and it's the basis of our salvation, justification, election, faith, and spiritual gifts. It's the basis of everything we have. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, but it's by grace. If you've never received grace or unmerited favor or unearned favor from someone, then how can you know what it is? How can you know what it is? If you don't give grace to someone at work, in your family, driving your car, then do you even know what grace is? If you've never been able to give it to somebody, do you know what it is? We need to live by grace, and we need to give grace constantly to those around us because we received it ourselves if we're truly followers of Christ. If you've not received it, then please take a step back and ask God to remind you of the grace that you've received so you can turn around and give it away. That's what a gift is, a giving of something to others. It's showing love to somebody. It's caring for others. Jesus has given us grace to handle life's hardships. And let me tell you, you're going to find hardships in this life. This life is not easy. And Timothy is finding hardships in leading the church. Because the church is running after all the wrong things. We never do that here, right? Paul is reminding Timothy that life is hard, especially as a leader. And you need grace. You need mercy. You need peace as you lead the church. Don't overlook these greetings as Paul, just simple greetings. But grace and mercy and peace be with you all and also with you. These are, the, these are the reminders of the truth. These are the reminders to each of us that Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So let's move on. What is mercy? Eleos is mercy in Greek. Eleos. It's showing compassion towards others and doing good towards others. That's what mercy is. For God, it's compassion for us in our miseries, our sicknesses, our pain, our suffering, our cancer. That's what mercy is. Showing compassion to us when we have someone we love die. Listen to his compassion towards us and what he's calling us to do with compassion. He's showing it to us. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. On them, for they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus had compassion for the crowds. Because they were harassed and helpless. 
They were like a sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion for us. Jesus has grace for us. Jesus has mercy for us. In our most desperate times, he's there to show us the way to life. That's why he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What are we doing with this, with those who are in need and helpless because of their ways? How about we pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest? How about we pray for that? That's what Jesus did, and that's what Jesus told us to do. Pray for workers, because they're so few. No, not in the church. Our church has tons of people who serve, right? Those who don't know Christ are harassed and helpless, and we need to be praying for them because they're getting into a place that's very scary in the end times. We're coming to a place in America that's very much like the end times. And no one seems to care. Our politicians sure don't. They just want to stay in power. We need to be a church that's praying constantly. Wednesday nights, we're here, 6.30. I encourage you, come, pray with us. We need workers because the world is helpless and they're harassed like a shepherd without sheep or a sheep without a shepherd. But too many times people are at their last ropes, they're starting to lash out in pain. If you don't believe me, go look at it on YouTube, go look at it on Facebook. World is hitting hard right now. And all I see on Facebook, and that's why I'm done. I have stopped going on Facebook. I don't care anymore. I don't care enough anymore to go on Facebook and listen to all the hate that's out there. It's overwhelming me, so I'm taking a break. This person's versus that person. This political party is against this political party. No one has any solutions. And then you got one or two people that are posting biblical verses. That I can tell you categorically that I know people who go, I don't care about your stupid Bible. That's what they say to me. I don't care what you think is true. It's dumb. I don't want you to pray for me. That doesn't do a thing for me. What I want you to do is fix my problem. Get rid of guns. They look to people who really don't care about their problems. They look to the government. Vote for me. I'll save you. Don't look to the church. They're not going to do anything for you. They're not even helping others. We're supposed to be a light to the world. We're supposed to be a city on a hill that, doesn't, that isn't hidden. We're supposed to not live in fear. Yet there are people today who go, why would I go back to the church? They live in fear. To live as Christ, to die is gain. No, no. I live in fear. 
The only way to have mercy and God's compassion for us in our misery is to find other things that Paul instructs Timothy for, and that's peace. Here's the last bit, guys. What is peace? Arena. Arena. It's a state of concord or harmony, a state of well-being. Peace is the resulting wholeness of salvation. John chapter 14, listen and be reminded of peace. Jesus says this, verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say it, I'm going away, I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Verse 29, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, he has no claim on me. But I do as my Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Those aren't my words, people. Those are Jesus' words. Don't live in fear. But what about, yeah, I don't care. Don't live in fear, Jesus said. Jesus is the peace that we get. Jesus is the peace that we give. He's the peace that we give. Never back down. Remember who you serve. It's the Lord Christ who you serve. Or do you? That's a tough question to ask. Because the ruler of this world is coming and he has no claim on Jesus. That's true peace. That's true peace, guys. Timothy needs to be reminded that Jesus is here. He's his peace. He's his mercy. He's the grace. If you want to lead a church, you need grace, mercy, and peace. We all need to be reminded of that. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. No weapon. Nothing. Isaiah 54, the eternal covenant peace passage. It's true of who God is. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. That's the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Verse Chapter 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat, Isaiah says. Come buy wine, I must be non-alcoholic, and milk without money and without price. Where are your peace? Where are you with peace? Where are, with, where are you with grace? Where are you with mercy? What are you living for? So you can stay alive just one more day? What are you living for? 
so you can make just one more penny? What are we living for? Is it to share the truth of Jesus Christ with everyone we come in contact with? Jesus said, don't be in fear. Timothy had to be reminded to live for God in the midst of the church, in the midst of all the problems, in the midst of our misery. Jesus Christ is our grace. He's our peace. He's our mercy. I tell you this, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. Everyone who rides a motorcycle with a helmet or without a helmet dies. Everybody who drives a car, who wears a seatbelt or doesn't wear a seatbelt, dies. Everybody who gets cancer dies. Everybody who gets the coronavirus dies. Everybody who gets anything in this world, if you wear glasses, you're going to die. What are you living for? One more day? One more chance at retirement? What are you living for? Because everybody dies. Do you know Jesus Christ and his peace, his mercy, and his grace? And if you do, he says, do not fear. What's the world going to do to you? What is it going to do to you? It's going to hate you. It's going to harass you. In fact, it's going to not like you at all because you profess to follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you right now and I just pray for peace. I pray for grace. I pray for mercy. We need to be reminded that these little greetings that are in the beginning of sermons, in the beginning of letters in the scriptures, they mean something to us. Grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, in Christ Jesus our Lord, they mean something for us. Do we have grace? And if we have grace, we need to give grace. Do we have mercy? And if we have mercy, we need to give mercy. And do we have peace? The church found out this last year that many people don't live in peace. We live in fear. I'm no longer going to live in fear, Lord. I'm going to live in peace and I'm going to give peace. That's what we're called to do. I pray, God, that we would truly follow you. That as grandparents and as parents, we would teach this to our children and our grandchildren. The truth of the word. That we wouldn't come up with excuses and not meeting together as it is a habit of many of us. Hebrews 10, 25. But Lord, we would come to you with grace, peace, and mercy. I pray for this church. I pray for its people. I thank you for all that are here. We pray for those who are not here, that you would be with them, that they would know you, Lord. They would receive grace and give grace. They would receive mercy and give mercy. They would receive peace and give peace. That we, as Jesus said, would not live in fear. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.